You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Well, let me invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to our sermon text this morning, which is Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 20. Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 20. You know, I hope that you can notice, uh, especially on a morning like this, because of what we're considering from this text, I hope that we can notice in the songs that we sing the very clear themes that run throughout not only the songs, but also the Bible and the particular passage that we preach from each Sunday, because there's a real effort to see how those can go together and, and build some momentum into the text to help us embrace and appreciate even more what God says to us in his word. And this morning, uh, in this text, we have a theme that we actually have just sung about, which is really the generosity of our God. I wonder if you think about God in those terms. Do you think regularly about how generous he's been to you? All of us know that he's good to us. All of us know that he's good. We all say God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. But do you know that he is infinitely generous to you. This is another one of those places in the Christian life where we, we undervalue or underappreciate what God has done for us. And we need every opportunity as we have this morning to consider carefully his generosity. And this is a great morning for us to do it because not only is it the last Sunday of the month when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, but also you may know we're making a little change to our format for this service and intend hopefully to continue doing this on the last Sunday of every month of having a portion of our service dedicated to praying together in a clear, focused way uh, according to a certain topic. And actually, this Sunday's topic is praying for the poor among us. And so we'll look forward to that in a few moments later in our service after we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But it gives us a great opportunity to have some pictures and some prayer that will help us think about God's generosity to us. We only have two sermons left in the book of Philippians. This series on a quest to become connoisseurs of happiness is almost through. Of course, we're going to carry forward everything that we have learned and what God has invested in us into our next sermon series, which is in the letter to the Galatians in just a couple of weeks. But this morning, we want to consider this morning God's generosity and ours in particular to prepare our hearts to celebrate the Lord's Supper and to prepare our hearts to pray in particularly generous ways with a focus on God's generosity to us. So as we have this kind of service, the sermon is a little bit abbreviated down even just today to one truth, one point about God's generosity. And uh, so if you're taking notes, here's the one truth that we want to capture and carry forward with us in the time that we have this morning. And it's simply this, that God is rich and generous to his people. God is rich, and not only rich, but he is generous toward his people. As we come to the end of the book of Philippians, Paul is wrapping up in his letter some final remarks, uh, which we'll conclude with next week. But he's, he's talking with the Philippians about their relationship, and he's, he's doing what he's been doing the whole letter, which is fronting joy and rejoicing, sharing his own reasons to be glad, and encouraging them to find the many reasons that they have to be glad. And here we hear, we hear this generosity of God coming through. 
So let's consider together in this time, verses 15 through 20, thinking especially about this generosity and and capturing again, before we leave the book of Philippians, what is it that makes Paul so happy? What is it that makes his, his mindset, or we might say his worldview, so keenly focused on gladness? Well, notice first in verse 15 that the Philippians, as we heard uh, last week, had given generously to Paul's missionary work. He says in verse 15, And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. Those words really catch my attention as a pastor. And I don't know, I don't know when you stop being a church planner when you've planted a church. I think, I think it's over. I don't know if I'm still a church planner or not, but, but I, I at least was one. If I am one now, that's, that's great. When I read those words, it really captures my attention. And it should capture yours too. If you were among our church at the very beginning, that was a long time ago. There are a lot of new people. Even if you're new, you're catching on to the story and you can kind of live vicariously through it. But there were early days of church planting. Here Paul says, in the early days of the gospel. That's just a profound thing to say, to think about Paul's experience in his his missionary endeavors throughout the world to be the apostle to the Gentiles, that he thinks back about the early days of the gospel. Those early days of the gospel were similar to our early days of the gospel as a church because all of the early days are difficult. You're, you're heading out to do something new. You're heading out to do something challenging. You're not the person, this applies to Paul, you're not the person you will be later. You're ahead of that. You have a lot to learn. You have a lot to go through. There are many trials and troubles that are going to shape and mold you. And when Paul looks back across those early days of the gospel, like we do, he sees the way that the Philippians cared for him and contributed to his ministry unlike anyone else. We have churches like that actually in our history. We have churches in Florida and Kentucky and North Carolina and other places who in those early days of the gospel invested in what we were doing. And we are who we are today in part because of them. And we have a unique relationship with them. This is part of what fashioned Paul's relationship to the Philippians because in the early days of the gospel, When he left Macedonia, no church shared with him in the matter of giving and receiving, but them alone. He notices, he says in verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. If you remember back uh, to Acts 17, when Paul visited Thessalonica, is a time of rioting in the streets and extreme difficulty. And the Philippians had this commitment to Paul that would surpass all of these times. And actually, as we see here and last week, that commitment continued. They had, they had uh, resumed their giving or they had given again and they were continuing to support him. I think this letter is written about 15 years after Paul's first missionary journey. So here they are giving to him over a course of time and their relationship is being, is being formed around the generosity of the Philippians, which of course Paul sees as a direct reflection of the generosity that God had shown him as well. But this is what I want us to see this morning in particular about Paul's outlook and about Paul's secret to happiness, which he calls the secret of contentment. It is the secret of happiness. 
Notice how his worldview is focused on ministry, not money. This text is about money. He's talking about the Philippians giving to him to help support him in all of the missionary endeavors that he was taking on over those years. But notice in verse 17, he says this, not that I seek the gift itself, the money that you have to give, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. The Apostle Paul's mind, as we see here and in so many other places, is on spiritual things, not on earthly things. He's not thinking about his earthly possessions and how he can gain more of them. He's thinking about his spiritual possessions and how he can gain more of them. He's not thinking about the, the physical material prosperity of the Philippians or other people in the world and how they can have more of that prosperity. He's thinking about the spiritual prosperity and how they can have more of that. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. You hear this again and again in his writing, in his mindset and outlook, in his purpose, certainly in his prayers, the way that he prays is that he is praying for more. We thought about that just a few weeks ago, and that was one of those things that's probably kind of new to us. It's, it's something I have to get used to thinking about as well, that we can pray to God because he's generous for more, and that's what Paul does here. He actually uses this kind of accounting language. He's using a metaphor about giving and receiving, about money and gifts, to talk about spiritual profit. That's why he says, I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. He is pursuing a growing happiness and joy among the Philippians that would last forever and ever and ever. And to do that, Paul is in pursuit of the generosity of God among all people. Paul wants all people to spiritually prosper. He wants all people to know the increasing joy of knowing Christ. He wants all people to take advantage of Christ for all that he's worth. Think about as we did a few weeks ago. I lose track of the weeks, as you can tell, because that's why I always say a few weeks ago. Uh, I I think a few weeks ago, we talked about a a parable, which is the parable of of the, the treasure hidden in the field and the pearl of great price. And we noticed that because we wanted to understand how we could pursue the treasure of the gospel more and the kind of mindset that leads us to that. It's an incredible picture, this parable, because it shows the way that, that, that someone can long for the treasure of Christ and to live in an extravagant and, and um, serious way about it. But I want you to think about something else along those lines. I want you to imagine if there could be a parable of the hidden treasure 2.0. What if the hidden treasure wasn't a treasure in a field, but it was something more like a fountain of youth? You know, they say there's a fountain of youth in St. Augustine, Florida, that they say Ponce de Leon found, and there it is, and you can go do all the attractions, and I I don't know if you can drink it or not. It's not going to make you youthful, but that's what people think. But imagine if that were true. What if you were out on a hike in the woods 
and all of a sudden there's a clearing and a brook and a fountain in, in coming out of the ground, and you realize that it was living water, that it was the fountain of youth, that you would take your little canteen out and fill it up, and you took a drink, and all of a sudden, all of your health was restored, and you're, you're enjoying everlasting health and happiness forevermore. What would you do? You see, it's a little different than the treasure hidden in the field. It's a different angle on what it means to seek a treasure. What would you do? Now, we can be cynical all day long. Monetize it. That's what, that's what most people would do. Fence it, sell tickets. But that's not what Paul would do. That's not what God does. That's not what we do. Rather, instead, if we were to find the fountain of youth, we would tell everyone that we could. And hopefully, God would be at work in our hearts in such a way that we would tell everyone that we could because we would want them to know this eternal joy and happiness, this incredible generosity of God to give us this living water. Is that what you would do? Is that what I would do? Because that's what you've been given. That's what I've been given, except it's far better than just physical health and happiness. It's real, lasting joy and happiness, and Paul knows this. And so he tells everyone that he can. This is how Paul thinks about the Lord and his grace. Listen to this, because we're coming to the end of the book, and we have to capture this. What is Paul about in his life? He does everything he can, though imperfectly, everything he can to magnify and maximize the incredible joys and benefits of coming to Christ and glorifying him by enjoying those benefits more and more and more. That's why Paul is full of encouragement. That's how, how, if you've been following along in Philippians and you've been catching on to the clear and straightforward truth and and picture of the Apostle Paul and the glimpse into into the heart that God was cultivating in him, he's the kind of person you want to be around. He's the kind of person you want to know and spend time with because this has radically changed his heart. Listen to what he says in verses even 19 and 20. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And then he says, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. Just notice this, when he talks to them and when he talks to God about them, he talks about them having more. He talks about how they can take for granted God's generosity. Have you ever heard somebody say when they're helping you, like, you know, you made a mistake and they're helping you clean it up and they want you to take advantage of the benefits they're offering you, but then they say something like, but don't presume upon my generosity. That means don't, don't take it for granted because it won't always be there. You know, if you keep screwing up, I'm not always going to fix it for you. That's what we say sometimes. You see, with the Lord, 
It's quite the opposite. You absolutely should presume on his generosity because by his covenant love, by what he has done in Christ to live, die, and rise again, and then to call his people to himself and bring them in and unite them to his son so that they belong to his kingdom forevermore. He is vouching, he is promising, he's guaranteeing by giving us the Holy Spirit. He is a down payment to say, I will always be generous to you. I will never short you, never. I will never hold back from you. I will never withhold anything from you that I know will increase your joy and magnify your ability to glorify me by enjoying me. Never. But for me, there's a disconnect because that's not how I live. I'm being serious when I say that. I hope you know I'm being genuine when I include us together in it. It's not a game. I'm telling you, that's not how I live. That is not how I pray. That's not how I think. There's a disconnect. Man, why? I don't, I don't exactly know. But I don't want there to be a disconnect. And I don't want there to be a disconnect for you. I don't want to pray about that. He will never short you. So why don't you pray? And why don't I pray like he will never short me? Why don't we pray like that today in a few moments when we come together? That's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We'll have a few people that lead us and keep us going down the track. And there'll be opportunities for everyone here to pray briefly. You know, give, give a chance to the long-winded folks. Give a chance for everybody to chip in, right? And the short-winded folks, you're going to have to step up. You're going to have to open your mouth because that's, that's what makes this good and rich. Okay, so, but when we pray, let's pray that way. Let's pray as people who presume upon our God's generosity. Let's think about what we want to ask for and then let's ask for something better all that we can to keep raising up and raising up the biggest, brightest prayers that we can. This Sunday, it's on behalf of those who are poor in our community. Did you know that there are a few better ways to come to Christ than when you're poor? Maybe when you're in prison, because those are places where you feel your need. So we can pray about that, and we can pray to a God who generously answers our prayers. He gives to us without reproach. But in order for us to do that, we're going to, we're going to ask God in this moment to minister to us. We're going to ask him to serve us by his grace as we take the Lord's Supper. So I want to invite those who are helping to hand out the elements to come forward so that we can prepare our hearts for this. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper in our church, uh, we invite everyone who's a Christian. If you have faith in Christ, you should take the Lord's Supper and you should take it for all it's worth. And when you take it, you should think carefully and pray fervently about what it means that the broken body of Jesus and the blood that he shed for us on the cross is pictured. That's what it is. It's a picture. And we take it into our, into our bodies as a picture of our unity with Christ, that we, we belong to him and he belongs to us. And so this is a great time for us to examine ourselves and think about those disconnects 
that cause our hearts to ache and ask him to minister, minister to us in these moments. And so if you're a member of our church or not, and you're a Christian, we want you to celebrate this with us. If you happen to be here and you're not a Christian, you haven't placed your trust in Christ yet, you know that you don't belong to him, not in the way that we're talking about, then you shall wait. But still pray, still ask God to, to be generous to you as you've heard this morning and ask him to give you everything that you need so that you can believe in him. And if you believe in him, why don't you pray for other people who may be here and do not, that he would give them generously everything that they need so that they too may believe in him. And we could take this together and we could walk this path together. Nothing would be better than that. So I wanna pray for us briefly and then we're going to distribute the elements around and then take the Lord's Supper together before we then pray and carry these truths into our, into our prayers this morning. So let's, let's begin and pray now. Father, we, we thank you for your grace and your mercy because you're generous to us. Uh, we don't know anyone more generous than you. No one can outgive you. And in fact, we, uh, we short you on expectation a lot, but you are, still, you are still generous to us. And we pray that you would change that in us. Help us to, help us to press into you and to desire and to reach after more of you so that we could know you more, that we could delight in you more, that you would become more infused with your grace throughout all of the areas of our lives that so want to pull us away. And so we pray that as we take the Lord's Supper today, that you would minister by your spirit to us through it and that we would be encouraged and that we would be uplifted and that we would be made more confident in you because of this time together. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we consider the Lord's Supper together, we should consider it carefully as an expression of God's magnificent generosity. If you think about what he has given, rather who he has given for us, what more could you want? What more could he give than his own son? And to give his own son for sinners like us. It is an incredible picture and an incredible accomplishment of our redemption in the most generous of ways. And it reminds us again of God's heart, which we want to carry forward into this time of prayer that's coming uh, in just a couple of moments. Even as we remember these words, listen to this as we consider together again God's generosity, as we've heard this morning, in the life of Paul and in the Philippians, and even in, in, in the nation of Israel. In Malachi 3.10, God was telling Israel that they should bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, he says, so that there may be food in my house. So he's giving them this command. And notice, though, what it says about his heart. Notice what his, what his promise is to them. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. In one sense, we rejoice to look to Christ as the one who has accomplished all of God's commands, in whom are God all of God's promises, that he himself has filled God's house, and because of him, God has opened the floodgates and poured out on us a blessing of redemption and grace and mercy, and we pray that we could know it more and more. And we want to pray for others as well.